0: Hey. Hello, everyone. Um, I want to welcome you all to another episode of Live from Field Station 5. (laughs) Um, This is our, and we are live in Jackson, Mississippi, and we are currently broadcasting from Cooperation Jackson. Um, who is hosting us this evening. Um, so we're here with um, some of the members from Cooperative Jackson. We're also here with um, some of our guests from Um And we're also here with um, the River Journey campus. Um, so we are going to be discussing um, a few things this evening, but mostly things centered around Jackson and mostly more acutely centered around Um, Cooperative Jackson. But as we begin here, um, I wanted to introduce um, our panel. And um, before I do that, I will introduce myself, but I'll also give them the mic to um, introduce themselves, but also their relationship to um, Cooper Jackson, Jackson, Mississippi itself, and the work that they do. Um, So my name is Abel Delami. I am a scholar I'm based in Chicago, and I um, work on um, Contemporary Urbanism. Um, So studying how culture shapes cities, um, studying how um, urbanism is being shaped under capitalism and its intertwined relationship with
1: cultural production. Um, So without further ado, I will pass it down the line. Peace, everybody. Um, My name is Brandon King. I'm a founding member of Cooperation Jackson. Um, Yeah.
2: Good evening, everyone. My name is Imani Rubala Aziz, and I am um, the Freedom Farm anchor. And what I do is I I garden and I enjoy it. And it's part of who I am and what I do.
3: And Wakali, uh, professional troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> Coming through Jackson via New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, one time a lawyer, all times a freedom fighter, and a person that uh, wants to destroy his whole system. It <laughs> <laughs> cannot, be, cannot be revived. Mm.
0: Okay. Um, before we dig in, so um, you know, there's a few of us in the room who are well, who are now more familiar with Cooperative uh, Cooperation Jackson and what the work the work you guys do here. But for our listeners, um, could you,
1: Brendan, could you kind of go into in more detail of what Cooperative Jackson is and what the work you do is? Uh, sure. Uh, so Cooper- Cooperation Jackson, uh, our goal is to build a broad based solidarity economy. Um, here in Jackson, Mississippi um, by using uh, worker cooperatives and worker-owned enterprises as a means for us to um, begin the process of owning our labor and learning how to um, manage our labor in a democratic fashion. And so, um, and so yeah, so that's what we do here. Um, we have uh, three emerging cooperatives. Uh, one is Freedom Farms Urban Farming Cooperative. I'm an anchor, and um, so is um, Sister Imani. Uh, We have the Green Team, uh, which is a landscaping uh, cooperative. Uh, Indesha has been um, sort of managing and um, sort of taking on the the, uh, sort of business sort of aspect of of that cooperative. And we also have the uh, Community Production Cooperative. And so the food that folks ate earlier, that came from one of the anchors. Um, for the community production cooperative, and that co-op is engaged in um, in um, building things and making things um, uh, for the different co-ops, but also um, for our community. Um, one of the the main sort of uh, initial starting projects is is how to um, build out an eco-village um, using um, digital fabrication, um, using those tools to to be able to do that, um, and so. That's, that's some of the work that we're embarking upon. Um, yeah.
0: OK. Um, so I want to kind of dig into um, what, and any one of you guys could jump in to answer this, but what were some of the conditions or thoughts that went into the finding of um, Cooperation Jackson?
1: Like, what initiated? Um. So I'll speak on that. I'm, I'm a founding member. Um, I think one of the things was uh, the Jackson Cush Plan. Uh, the Jackson Cush Plan is a, is a plan that came out of the New African People's Organization. Um, this is a group uh, that comes out of the Black Power Movement. Um, but sort of three uh, pillars to this plan. Um, and the pillars are sort of a basis for us to be able to put our people in a position where we have um, more confidence and more power to take us to the next stage. I feel like some people think that the Jackson Kush plan is a revolutionary plan. And I feel like a revolutionary plan will have a lot more things in it than, um, than the Jackson Kush plan has. Uh, but I feel like the Jackson Kush plan puts us in a, in a stage where we, we can develop to that stage. Right. And so, um, the three pillars being one is independent political party. Another one is people centered decision making processes. So that's uh, like people's assemblies. And then the other, um, which is the uh, which is the pillar that Cooperation Jackson that we've been um, sort of tasked with is um, building out a broad based solidarity economy. And so um, we come out of uh, that movement. Um, some some of our people you know, were members of uh, of the organization that helped to, to to come up with these ideas. Um, and um you know our goal is, is to try to see these ideas to fruition. Um you know by building with ourselves and by building with the community. Um, you know, yeah.
0: Um and um for the work that you guys are also doing and in the context of when where that is being done and within the time period that is being done, I think it's interesting to think of um civil rights movements progressive action um, throughout history but we're also in a time period where we're more connected than ever before so as much as the work is focused on local initiative it's also disseminated globally simultaneously so can you talk a bit about um, what your work all three of you guys the work that you're doing now what does it mean for it to be um, for to be existent in this uh, space and time, but also what does it mean for it to actually be existent in Mississippi as a specific location?
3: Well, uh, you know, I kind of make a disclaimer here because Cooperation Jackson is, is not uh, anything unique or particular to me. You know, my goal has always been to live an anti-capitalist, anti-materialist life. I met uh, Kalia Kuno and uh, Mambo when we were organizing down in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. And my coming to Cooperation Jackson was based solely upon my pursuit, my lifelong pursuit, to find bubbles where I could live anti-capitalist, anti-materialist, and create spaces where I could feel comfortable that my life makes sense. Uh, my my journey to uh, Jackson is just a part of my lifelong journey. So I really don't speak as much for cooperation Jackson as I speak for a person who has pursued justice, independence, and anti-capitalist, anti-materialist modalities for the last sixty or so years. So if you, I will not be trying to speak. Of course, say for anti for uh, cooperation Jackson, but I am working in coordination with anti with cooperation Jackson based upon my uh experiences with with Chokwe Lamamba and with Kali Akuno in New Orleans with the People's Hurricane Relief Fund, which led to my decision to come here. Um, Sister Murray, yes, the freedom farm.
2: It's something not new to us here in Mississippi. In fact, it was freedom fighters in Mississippi. Fannie um, with Hamer. Fannie Lou if you if you remember some people remember the common phrase, "I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired." Mm-hmm. Well, she was sick and tired of of um, the lack of representation. She was sick and tired of being misrepresented. She was, she was sick and tired of not being able to be who she was, which was a black female in the South, trying to survive every day. So she established freedom farms after she got kicked off of uh, uh, this share plantation. Okay? And with that, she found the need to create farms so that everyone can eat, because that's a basic right that everyone has. You, you have the right to feed yourself. The land is plentiful. It doesn't really belong to anyone. We're just here to use it. Well, my my coming here to Corporation Jackson is it seems like quality of the following place. In the things I've done in the past, I was a former president of um, Mississippi or Acorn, which was a grassroots movement um, that originated in Illinois, and um, there was a lead organizer who came and established it. And I got involved because one, well, I'm a homeowner. And you would think, therefore, a landowner. But I got involved because of what the system was doing in terms of displacing people out of their homes. And they used whatever means they could, even even the university here of Jackson State, um, and, and, and this thing called Mississippi Quick Take. That means they can, if, you, if you're behind on your taxes, or, Texas, or if, you, if they feel that they have a need for your property, they go ahead and take it from you. And the big uproar was like that. These people didn't know their houses were gone; that they were no longer owning their homes. And many of these people were elders. So in the process, what it, what had happened is, it, uh, they displaced a lot of elders out of the community. And this, the community I live in, which is in West Jackson, was a very old community. So I took it uh, I took up arms with that because I had issues with that because these people live their lives here, intend to live out their lives here. And then someone says, Well no, I, I need your property. I don't they say they don't ask that it's gonna to do it. So and one, like I said, one of like the rights we have when we're born on this earth is the right to shelter ourselves, to, to to shelter ourselves, the right to clothe and feed ourselves. And so this my, my thing in being a mother of many children in my house that I own is such, uh, my, my life led me to have to grow food for my children to eat on my land as I needed to. So farming and gardening was something natural to me. It's something that everybody should be able to do no matter what. Uh, You need to know what it is to put a seed in the ground and you need to know what food is and where food is. Here in our communities, we have issues with um, food deserts. That, that those deserts are stores designed not necessarily to provide nutritive food, but junk food. You can buy junk food cheaper than you can um, natural food, and natural food is expensive. So more than likely, people here, due to their economic situation, are not able to buy the fresh food and then if they if we do get the fresh food, it's food that is not, it's something that you really should put in the compost pot because it's really on its last name. So my thrust here and being part of in cooperation, Jackson, and being anchor of Freedom Farms, is to grow good, that food so that people have good, nutri- good nutritious food to eat. Therefore, they'll be able to function better. They'll be able to sleep better. They'll be able to make better decisions. And that's at the root of it all. You you are
0: what you eat, you are what you eat, and you will act according. You know, I I think it's also kind of interesting to think of um, your ideas of farming and also the personal responsibility that goes into farming as well. Um, How do you feel that you're able to educate the community to kind of take on those notions as well, when there's so much distraction to actually you know, keep the community away from them? You
4: know,
2: I uh, I liken people to the soil. We are the soil. You know, there's different kinds of soil. You have sand, you have clay, and you have that firmament that has nutrients in it that if you plant seeds in it, it will grow. There are some, there's some soil that you can't grow anything in, okay? And like I said, there's some people that just don't get it when I say there's a soil. It's not made it the sand. Not much grows in sand, okay? Then you have the clay. Clay has its own purpose. It keeps the ground together. It's, it's tight. It, it, you know, it'll it absorb water and all, but then you really can't really grow anything in it because when it dries, it cracks. It's not reliable. Okay. Um you have to, in terms of people, have the right nutrients, i.e. knowledge and education or sight, like vision, in order to grow your community. So whatever I put into it, it should grow, it should flourish. So the the seed is the act. And if the soil is fertile, that seed will grow the ideal one. Okay. If if you don't have it together, then it's not going to do what it does. You'll be just like the sand. And sand wastes away. And so will it be. So my goal is to provide that which you need in order to survive. Is to, if the soil needs some nourishment, which is knowledge education, then it's my duty to amend it or to supply that which it needs in order for whatever we need to do. And that's why it's important that I do what I do in the garden. If it doesn't work well enough, we need to go another route and find something else that works. But the process takes time. And as if anything, things take time. So we need to exert patience. So and, and when, when,
0: like I say, when I like it to the soul, I like it to people, you know? and that's why I'm with that. And so, it, you know, in kind of the opening statements that you all made, um, you know, there's a sense in which we're thinking of. The system that we're all in and the failure of that system. Um, but also. The, the notion of taking up arms and taking up initiative to create an alternative to that. But the thing is, we're in this ultra-capitalistic system that will be in resistance to any alternative practices within it. So I'm kind of curious to think of, how are you guys, one, one approaching that resistance? Um, and But also, what resistance are you meeting in terms of um, thinking of the, exit the things you're exercising, for example, with farming. For example, as Indesha mentioned, um, you know, interested in breaking down the capitalistic model. You know, when you meet resistance to that, what are the solutions that you come up with or how do you fight that? How
3: does it fight anything? Well, I I think it's very important and I always tell people straight up that you need to understand the difference between surviving, between surviving and living as you when Sister Imani talked and she was clear that her program to feed people is a survival program. If you go back to the analysis of Ewing P. Newton and Bobby Seale in the 60s with the Panthers, they straight up said that the system doesn't work. But people still have to live under the system. So while you build a revolutionary system, you create these survival programs that help people endure the day-to-day destruction of of capitalism. Uh, And when you talk about the destruction of capitalism, you're not talking about guns, Uh, because uh, another thing that people say in the 60s was political power grows from the barrel of the gun. But if you read the Red Book quote from Mao, it said, yeah, but the political party must control the gun. And guns in themselves are not revolutionary because if guns was revolutionary, all the criminals would be revolutionary. <laughs> what revolutionary is the thought. The revol- revolution starts at first in your mind. It's a thought. And, and a, um, an idea whose time has come cannot be resisted. So when I look at the whole concept of what I'm doing here and you can see the diversity in thought and in approaches that we have between the three of us. And you can see how Cooperation Jackson is bringing people who may not have the same approach or might be on a different road, but we're trying to get to the same destination. And we have been able to work that out where we support each other in whatever approach they have toward the the final goal. My thing that I think the beauty of cooperation, Jackson, is that there is space for that diversity of thought and that diversity of work. And that you can disagree on on strategy and tactics as long as you agree on the final goal. So I think that's the beauty and that's what it's going to take for all of these diverse ideas to come about and create an alternative (coughs) to the current system. I mean, I'm gonna die under a capitalist system. I know that. But that doesn't mean I have to subject myself to submission to it. So we try to build roads around and do the best we can during our lifetime. And hopefully, brothers like Kali and Brandon, you pass the baton and they run that next leg. And that's the way. Africans have been doing it since the first slave in 1619 jumped off the boat and would rather let the sharks eat him than to give up his freedom. And from 1619 to where we are now, each generation has built a bridge that the next generation should travel across. And then they should build a bridge. And eventually, uh, there will be an anti-capitalist Humanitarian, humanitarian, fair and humane system, or either the earth is going to be destroyed. Uh, capitalism is not sustainable; it cannot work from a natural sustainability of the natural order. It cannot work, so it's not a it's not a question of if of if there will be an anti-capitalist society. The question is, what can we do? to mold it and to help it get here. So, you know, that's that's what I think about. here. I'm I'm not exactly what everybody else is, but I feel where everybody is trying to go. Mm.
0: And Brendan, can you speak to that in terms of uh, how corporate Jackson is um, thinking of the capitalist system that is flourishing and growing in?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, similar to what Indacia said, I think what we're what we're in the process of doing is um, building up systems and trying to um, build in a way where we can scale up in a way where we can de-link from the systems that are harming us, you know. And so, if we have control over our food system, if we have uh, control over our housing, if we have land and we have housing, um, most times that's what people be paying for stuff for you know like so that's why people work many times is to pay for the place you live and and to pay for food on your on on your plate right and put on your table but if we're able to produce those things ourselves then I feel like that frees up people's time a whole lot um and that makes us less dependent upon um you know these outside forces and these these systems that are harming us. If people spend most of their time developing their own community and, and develop in developing their own uh, neighborhood instead of giving most of your hours the best times of the day um, to a boss um, where most of your labor and most of your your resources is extracted from you um, where you can you can shift that whole paradigm and actually work with your community and work with each other and building up your community and your labor and your time and your energy going into producing something that you're going to see, um, the benefit from. I think that's, that's the goal that we have here. And, um, that's why we started instead of just doing one cooperative, we wanted to have a multi-pronged approach, um, because we want to, want to be able to have sort of all the aspects of life. Um, we want to be able to have access to and control over, you know, I think about capitalism or colonial capitalism, and I feel like, um, it stripped us from our humanity. You know, I feel like in a lot of ways, it's it's uh it's made people into like consuming zombies. You know, that don't have a, a sense of uh, of how society works or how things get made or even like what Sister Mone was saying, where food comes comes from. You know, um, and our um, pro- project, our political project, I feel like is a humanizing project. You know, um, us being, um, in a, in a position where we understand and have knowledge about all different aspects of the supply chain, um, where we are engaged in, in production, where we're engaged in distribution, um, where we're engaged in manufacturing, um, all of these things where it's been compartmentalized. If we, um, if we're able to have access to it, if we're able to understand it, and if we're able to, um, uh, you know, make these aspects popular and that the community um, also has as- as- access to it and, and is able to engage in it. I feel like that's, that's, that's a big goal um, of Cooperation Jackson. And I think, I know that like, you know, we're not in a position financially to like sort of set up co-op jobs for everybody in the city. You know, like the city's uh, 180, like close to 200,000 people. Um, but I think, I know what we do have access to is space. Um, and, um, we have access to these politics and, um, we can, uh, set up areas where people can engage in solidarity economy practices. And I feel like that's something that has been embedded in this community. Um, long before we even came here, they may not have said it the same way. It may have been, I'm going to get, uh, some sugar from my cousin. Um, because, um, I got Kool-Aid and I got some milk and I didn't have sugar in the fridge, I mean, in the, in the the cabinet, but, um, I know my cousin do. So I'm gonna get the sugar and we are gonna make some Kool-Aid and he can have some Kool-Aid too, you know? So it's like that process that, that existed, that exists within our community. You know, for us, it's like, instead of it just being between family members or between your neighbors, um, how can we set it up as to where strangers, can engage in that same sort of process, um, and you know we're we're hoping that with the plaza space um, that we we have um, that we can set up the outside parking lot to be like an old school swap meet where people can come bring their goods, they can trade their goods, they can sell their goods if they want. Um, you know, we want to also incorporate some time banking um, models as well. Um, but, but expanding those ideas and those processes um, for people to engage, I think, um, is, is also a goal of ours, along with people developing um, through the through the cooperatives, through the worker-owned cooperative. OK.
0: Um, you know, I, I want to talk a bit about growth. And this is for all three of you guys uh, as well. In thinking of growth, but also scale of ideas, of, um, of initiatives. So in thinking of the the initiative um, that Corporate Jackson has taken on, um, when thinking of the f- um, farm, and when this, these projects and these ideas, but also in, in thinking of like your ideas of um, socialism, when these ideas begin to grow, as they grow, it's, off, it's often when you start to see the issues that arise in that, right? So things often work well in small-scale spaces and small-scale communities, you know, you've used the um, analogy of um, Kool-Aid and sugar, right, so if you multiply that by 100,000, 200,000, right, Um, you know, what problems, from the initiation, are you guys thinking of how to prevent the problems that usually would emerge from scale? Um, Because one thing about the ideas when we're thinking of capitalism as well is, is thinking that as you know cooperative organizations begin to grow they start to mimic the third capitalistic system that they're against you know um, um, you know you've mentioned um, I, I think you mentioned by like, you know scale of 100 200,000 which makes me think of um madragon in spain okay. you know which is the most successful cooperative um, i think in, in the world currently at least Um, But as it's grown, it's become a corporation in a sense as well, right? So when you guys are still at a stage of local initiatives, community initiatives, are you thinking and implementing strategies in it that as this thing grows, we don't want to end up this way?
3: Well, I've I've always said that everybody's against the system until they get to be (laughs) the (laughs) system. Everybody's against the system. They're going to destroy the system. They're going to tear it down. And then they get to be the system. And then all of a sudden, the system ain't really that bad. Uh, That's uh, uh, the corrupting influence. When they say uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, uh, that is probably one of the most clearest things that I've learned. Uh, In New Orleans, when I first got into electoral politics at about 16, we had all white elected officials. Uh, When Katrina came in 2005 we had all black elected officials and the the city of New Orleans was sold out by all black elected officials. One thing I've learned in the transition from black politicians to white politicians is both people still catch
4: hell. (laughs) Uh, So when you
3: uh, When when you look at at that experience there, I think that uh, you're not going to exactly solve that problem, but I think a lot of times we talk to people in hypotheticals about what we're against, and people are pretty clear what you're against, but we never show a model of what we're (coughs) against. And when I talk about bubbles, these bubbles are models that say, "Okay, even if you live under this system, you don't have to be like that. You can be like this, and then you become the living model that people can look at and say, well, yeah, I don't have to be a low-down, no good motherfucker. I could be better, excuse my language. I don't have to be like that uh, I can be better because I know this brother around the corner these brothers here, they're doing some stuff and they ain't selling nobody out there and exploiting nobody they ain't killing nobody they're really trying to create something better but if we don't show better people ain't going to do better so I think the most important thing that uh, Cooperation Jackson does is show better and um, it's not gonna uh, happen overnight, but I think uh, I'm confident that people are gonna
1: do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, I think because for me, I think about like when people say scaling up, I think, I think about it more in terms of like scaling out. Like, cause I don't, cause the whole hierarchy thing. I'm, I'm about sort of decentralization. <laughs> like, I feel like you know decentralization, like these different hubs that are engaged in solidarity economy kind of practices. You know, um, and because when something gets just like you said, when it gets too big and too centralized, then that's too much concentration of power. But if it's something that, um, where, where there's stations where everybody, where everybody sort of can engage. And sort of exchange, more people having access to solidarity economy um, practices is what we want to happen. Um, how that is governed, I feel like is is dependent upon the people who do it. Um, yeah, that's what that's what I think. Um, so, like when I think about um, when people say scaling up, I, I, I prefer the term sort of scaling out. More people having access to solidarity economy practices. Okay. So I mean, I guess
0: on the point of scaling out, um, I know that there's some members of our audience that wish to engage in conversation here. So rather than me holding the hierarchical position and being the host here, so I want to kind of pass the mic to some of you guys who are interested in engaging in conversation. Um, Anyone? State your name and yeah, I'll share. All right, cool. Thank you. Uh, I'm Jason Ludwig. Uh, thank you, first and foremost, for having us here and sharing food and sharing ideas. Um, and I wanted to continue talking on the topic of scaling out. And I was wondering how you all, obviously, this is very locally based and there are a lot of local concerns, but this is also kind of engaged in a global politics, um, a global politics of resistance, but also a global politics of solidarity. And I noticed. A sign about an event that focuses on Puerto Rico here and so i was just wondering if you could speak on that and speak on you know as you mentioned the relationship between these different hubs of
1: uh, solidarity economy practices and how you you balance thinking locally and thinking globally <laughs> right on um, so yeah so I, the event about Puerto Rico is actually a film that we're showing tomorrow what's the name of the film Sean? The response. The response, and so this is after the the most recent hurricane um, uh, that that happened, and what folks' community sort of response uh, was, and sort of uh, it's sort of like in in crisis. There's there's opportunity, Um, and so they've been able to to do a lot of cool things when um, when the system is kind of shook. When it's, when it when there's a shock in the system, that allows space when people aren't just going to their jobs giving their hours away, um, they could think about like yo. So what's possible? Um, and they should spoke about it briefly just um, you know with um, people's Hurricane Relief Fund. It's um, I feel like those, these are sort of transformative moments. Um, I know even for me uh, personally, um, Hurricane Katrina. Uh, was the, the, the most sort of politicizing moment for me that sort of shifted the course of my life and what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I was a college student at that time and um, went down to um, to the South, to Selma, to Mobile, um, but also to um, New Orleans. I think I met Daisha way back then. Way back then. I'm 35. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and, um, but you know, just to see the government's response, you know, kind of, you know, and you know, this was stuff I thought I only would see on TV. Just in terms of treating black people here, treating poor people like we're in the developing world, um, you know, and for me, that was a, a clear sign that I, I wanted, I wanted a, a shift, sort of swift, radical transformation to happen, and I wanted to dedicate my life um, to that, to that process. Um, the reason Puerto Rico, I think is because I feel like a lot of those innovative, um, strategies that people have implemented in terms of, um, having hubs where people have access to food where people have access to care, um, care from the trauma, you know, from, you know, people's homes and people like losing family members, all of that, like setting up support networks, um, And now that the you know the hurricane is gone, um, these networks are still in existence. You know where where the state hadn't had um, had failed people in these aspects. People have um, sort of taken that on and taken that up. And there's a lot of things that we can learn from that. Um, And also too, and I don't I don't know if it's gonna say anything about it in the film, but I think there's a resurgence of. just um, Puerto Rican independence, you know, from uh, U.S. colonialism, um, and and the hurricanes and the neglect of the U.S. government um, in the hurricane um, from from that happening, um, I think has helped to politicize a lot of um, Puerto Ricans um, as well.
5: Thanks, right. I find all of your diverse works very inspiring on many reasons. Um, It's just one thing i tilted on when you... My name is Clemence, by the way, and a long time ago, like not too long time, but some years ago, I I worked on uh, the use of uh, technology tools, and especially uh, web-based tools for self-determination of people on every scale from the international to local. And I heard before that in the Fab Lab, you learn to people, people learn how to code. My question goes to your your use of that, um, well, let's say technological tools. Uh, your, I would say not the use, but also the general view of technology, because we see the emergence of these tools a lot. Um, but at the same time, I think, Technology is very ambiguous in the way it can be used in the sense that, uh, as we all know, I would say this main means of capital domination, exploitation, uh, come, come from the use of, of technology. And so seeing this, I'm, 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 I, I stopped working on this because I was more and more questioned about this. And so I want to know how, what is your relationship to technology and, let's say, manufacturing tools, everything that implies the capital, I would say, means of production on a very large scale. Yeah, We're
3: not there yet. You know, I read a book. I read a book uh, probably when I was in undergrad school that says that uh, as, as technology moved forward, they were going to have these robots doing most stuff. And you weren't going to need. A lot of people, a lot of people, and that uh, human labor would become surplus, and that uh, because of technology, folk would not have to actually work a lot. But they looked at technology as a way for a human to only have to work three days a week. And you could still get the same amount of work done, and you could make You can make the same amount of money by working a whole lot less. People could have more free time. They could have more vacation time. They can have uh, more time to to be with their children, to be with their loved ones. It's not technology that's the problem. It's these greedy motherfuckers at the top that's taking all the money and then using the technology to make people work for almost nothing, and then hoard all the resources and don't get any of the benefit down to the people that's doing the work. So technology is great, in my opinion. It's just that the people are using technology in a manner that makes the most of us miserable, but you have this small people, this class at the top, who are living incredibly well, amassing all these resources, and they're not sharing it with us. So I'm all for technology. We should only have to work two days a week. And we should only work like four hours a day. And the robots do the other stuff. And we put the shit in the computer, and you be at your house with your children while you watch it. It's not the, it's not the, the uh, system. It's the greed inside the people that have perverted technology. That's
0: the way I see it. I, I had a, a comment to actually make um, in terms of thinking of technology. Um, I think it's, it's important to think um, of technology in a broad sense as well. Um, you know, Technology isn't simply machines that we use or the computer that we use. The city is a technology. You know, Policy is software that runs the hardware that is the city. Um, you know, but also in terms of thinking of what Sister Mani said earlier, um, because a question that was developing in my head, um, was thinking of one, these cooperative efforts, um, but also in thinking of farming, she used the word patience so many times. She used the word time and just, it takes time to, to, you know, to do something. Um, and you know, the one. One thing that was circling in my head that, you know, the idea of patience and time is an opposition to capitalism, you know? Um, So, and when I think of labor and how we spend our time, you know, there's this this concept or this notion that, you know, social media companies have such and such employees. Um, Facebook has 20 to 30,000 employees worldwide. Google has so many employees worldwide. But I think the concept of labor also needs to be addressed. That Facebook doesn't have 20, 30 employees worldwide. They have over a billion employees worldwide. They're just not paying some of them. Um, you know, when you're using this tool, you're actually working for the company. You know, you're growing the company. Um, you're just not part of the infrastructure that the company is recognizing as a traditional form of employee. So when I think of you, which goes back to Mani's, um comments about spending time to nurture the environment that feeds you, um, rather than the time to work for Facebook by using more of this tool. And I know you know we're in a time and space where we're kind of chained to some of these tools, to some you know we're dependent on them in some sense. Um, but it's also thinking of your local environment, your environment as something to spend time on.
6: You know. I I want to so right. So before we get too far off of when you first raised scale, and that I think it's connected. And then also speaking to your question, I I took some notes so that I wouldn't forget. Um, So, and then to answer um, like concretely in terms of like how we work and what we do, right? So, scale is like this local ground level, right? Connecting to regional, connecting to, in our case, national here in the belly of the beast, right? Um, and then connecting globally. Um, So we are a part of regional networks um, and specifically um, in the deep south as African people and national alliances within the United States, right? And so we've been able to, um, through the national alliances, I would say, connect on a global level, um, also based on Folks who um, helped to start the organization and launch the organization's international um, relationships, um, and I'm gonna shout out those of us that are in the room, like Brandon, Kali, myself. You didn't say. You didn't say who you were. Oh yeah, I introduced myself earlier, and so I, I slipped and forgot we're in the podcast. Back the podcast. Right, audience. exactly. <laughs> Let me put my. Former radio hat on. So my name is Saka Paul Hall, uh, Saki, and I'm a member of Cooperation Jackson. So um, from you know, so from the beginning, I would use the word internationalist, right? Like Cooperation Jackson, um, we are internationalists, and that's actually a challenge uh, based on resources, and we've been we've been mad blessed to be able to have delegations ranging from different scales to be able to go, um, you know, we had like a huge crew fundraise and go to Paris for the climate negotiations. Right. We just came, um, sister Imani myself, and a member of Monica just came back from Ghana, um, where there was like, a specific focus on Pan-African solidarity and the intersection of that with the solidarity economy and co-ops, right? So, um, so that international part, Shambay came back from Venezuela, Shambay and Joshua came back from Venezuela, and so it sounds like, you know, it... It may sound sexy that we're like going to different places, but it's hard, right? Yes. <laughs> like it's hard to do the travel. It's hard to do the fundraising, um, and a lot. And then you know, like we, like I said, we've been blessed. So we've been able to be a part of groups and associations that support us and that will like fully fund us going somewhere in certain cases, right? So I think that. So coming back to the scale thing, I think that a lot of times in international spaces um, and folks from the U.S. compare ourselves to international spaces. So we're like, Brazil can have a hundred thousand people at a march, and you know India, and it's like comparing ourselves to places that that scale is. That's not where we're at here, not at all. So we can compare ourselves to, like, Italy and Spain in terms of co-ops, but, like, the anarchist history in the U.S. is not the same as there, right? So, like, um, I don't even... And then if you talk about participatory democracy or deep democracy, how deep can it get if you have a people's assembly with, like, 10,000 people? I don't know. Folks do it in different places, but I don't... I think that this might be where I agree on the anarchism with my comrade Brandon. Like it getting bigger ends up opening all kinds of, I think, doors for problematic and less ability to really talk and continue to relate to each other and have ideological struggle in a way that doesn't end up like flipping it into things being co-opted. Right? So, um, so yeah, so a lot of times when I'm talking about Cooperation Jackson's work and I'm talking about scale, I'm talking about our work um, being a model and there needing to be, what is that saying? Like a thousand flowers blooming type of thing. Um, and then strategically in connection so that there is this actual web. right? Um, and so yeah so that was the one thing that i wanted to add on top of the idea of scale and then also um with the cpc and the fab lab yes we have had members and there's been like two different rounds of doing training and that's in development it's still very much in development we're not at the point where we're being challenged by the question of technology and the way that you raise it, right? So that's a debate, you know, we um, talked about and kind of debated around the whole Bitcoin thing and like, mm-hmm. oh, the vision of an alternative currency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like we had, you know, training and so so it's important and that has to stay at the forefront of our minds constantly because again, like has been said by Brandon, Sister Amani, and Adesha, and, um... Brother? Brother. Abe Abe. Um, things start off a certain way, and then, you know, we've seen more times than, um, I think the balance of, like, how much we've seen flip and be a disappointment or be like, uh, is, um... Means that in technology, like yeah, I agree with what Andesha said, and still, I I don't lose sleep at night, but I would be worried that like if we're talking about opening people's grocery store and folks only work in two hours, then yeah, we might bring in some of those self help <laughs> machines, right? Like it is, it's, it's. it's um, so I, I wanted to say that to say like the question that you raised is um, is serious and is real, and um, and then do that along with sharing like where we're at right now with the work that we're doing, um, and so yeah, I'll I'll leave it at that. The it's. Um, I'm excited about the fab lab and the community production center. When we were talking earlier in the evening before dinner, I talked about my role with the community land trust and land and housing. And so, um, the idea and watching videos and then seeing the different stages that it's been in, um, for me has meant like, idea of us having resources to develop affordable permanently affordable housing that is long term like I was thinking like that's long term there's short middle and long that's long term and then that kind of happening and developing um you know it's like shortened it can potentially shorten how soon we actually can develop um something that's very capital intensive like building a house on the vacant land, not only renovating or repairing it, right? Um, So yeah, so thank you.
0: Um, Actually, I I had a question as I was watching you talk, and I remember you mentioning that you were from New York. And this is a conversation that um, Kamazi and I were talking about um, a bit earlier as well, um, because another member of cooperative um, Jackson Monica Atkins, who is in here with us, um, is also from Chicago. Um, you moved from uh, New York as well, mm-hmm. you know. Like, so can you guys speak to a, a bit about what is it about this migration, this reverse migration that's occurring within? the black
1: population of this country returning back to the South. Uh, I think uh, part of that is economical, just in terms of communities being pushed out to the outskirts of the cities, Um, and I think having family based in the South. um, So having having spaces for people to come back to. Um, I know for me personally, I've been living in New York for close to six years. Um, I felt like it was a rat race, um, that I was doing a lot of really good work. Um, But at the end of the day, I I saw just more and more militarization of the police, more and more of our communities being pushed to the corners, um, more and more police brutality, um, and more and more condos being built you know, we may have, we may have been able. I used to work for a houseless led organization, um, and uh, we used to uh, do like know your rights workshops and joint cop watch uh, with the Malcolm X grassroots movement. Um, but we also used to crack spaces and move people into vacant spots. Um, and and yeah, I mean, I felt like that could happen, but I I just felt like. Capital is super concentrated in the city, and that's a space that um, I feel like the ruling class they got it unlocked. Um, you know, but when you when you look towards a place like Jackson, um, capital isn't super concentrated. Um, you know, I remember being up in New York City, and uh, like we have our organization, um, and we're struggling to the, the, the find spaces to rent um, that we could afford. You know and that and renting is not not something where we can say that we have a vested sort of interest and stake in the community because we don't we don't actually own the land um and so what is the long-term strategy when you don't when you don't have that sort of stake, right um and then to come here and be on the flip side where we're not um talking about rent we're talking about ownership we're talking about collective ownership and in the form of um, community land trust, I feel like there's more space. I feel like there's definitely things you give up um, and move into the South. Um, You know, in in New York City, I could be in my own sort of activist bubble where I could find all sort of black, queer, anarchists um, and I could be, and we could all hang out and do that. Down here, it's it's not that, it's not that easy to do. Um, but I also feel like that's also a task, though, right? Like, I feel like um, people in the cities are, are way too like we're too up under each other. And like if, I think it's important for our generation like to think about what skills do you have personally and what skills would how will your skills be useful and strategic to, to, to bring in our people to, a, to the next stage? Um, and so I feel like it can't always be an individual comfort decision in terms of thinking about, um, where you want to be and what you want to do. I, I, feel like, um, we have, uh, it's like an obligation. It's like, ai don't know, I don't know how to say it, but it's just like, we owe it to our ancestors, um, to, to, to live our best lives, but also to, um, to try to thrive, to. So that so that our people aren't just surviving, so that we're are in a position where we're thriving. And um I, I wish that more people would make sort of harder political decisions that may be a bit uncomfortable, but um may also allow more space, you know, for, for our movement and also for our people to to advance, um advance the struggle.
0: Okay. Um, I'm about to pose a a question about the possible inevitability. Um, to you. So in this rapid urbanizing world, you know, this um, idea and the reason, the justification for coming down here that you've expressed, do you see a Jackson becoming or succumbing to the fate of a Detroit? You know, because this conversation and these thoughts, these ideas that you have mentioned, I've heard in Detroit, I've heard in Berlin, I've heard in Baltimore, you know, like Fifteen years ago, people were moving to Detroit because, you know, it gave them space. It gave them time. They, you know, everyone grew their own food. Um, urban farming was a thing. Um, and now, a two-bedroom in Detroit is three thousand dollars. You know, so, at what do you see that occurring to Jackson, or, um, or kind of like, what are your thoughts on that possible inevitable future? It's
7: happening
5: already. Is that already?
0: <laughs>
2: You know, the most most, uh, difficult thing for a person to do in my community is to own a home. The most important thing we have that we could possibly own is our home because we can control what goes on there. When you are at the mercy of landlords, you're at the mercy of landlords. You don't control your destiny at that point because you are renting, you're not saving. More, you're engaging actually in extractive behavior because you can, you don't have room to put anything in it. You don't have, you don't have the, the resource to, to save and do that because you're trying to survive from months to months or every six months. When I came to the South, it was not by chance. It was because we were in Cleveland, and my house burnt down while we were in it. We were getting ready for school, and I won't uh, get into how it happened. But the reality of us having to leave where we were to come to a place that we were not familiar was scary the children because one, it being, we come from a different mindset from where we were. Um, when I moved to the South, I, 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 I met racism, dead in the face, only way down, and, and that was real to me because we were not allowed to use the bathroom. They did not want, we went to some stores or restaurants where they refused to feed us, and, and this was not the America that I thought we grew up in. Now, I'm in grade school. And I'm not understanding this. So okay, we get here, we settle in Mobile, Alabama, and the first egregious act I did was not to say yes, ma'am, and I got written up. I dropped the ball. I'm like, what bone? I don't understand what, what. I, I, and I say that, I say that, I say that because it was okay for we had to conform to to the environment we were in. We were at the mercy of the powers that, that be at that time. And while I'm seeing all of this, with my young eyes, I'm seeing people being literally again moved out of their homes and businesses coming in and taking these areas up and building condos. I was in high school and my, my mother moved us from, from my house we moved out of, into an apartment so I could go and get a better education. Okay, because the school I would need to go to has less education, right? They have best education program. But in the process of us staying there in an apartment, someone said, "Oh, well, I want to take these apartments and turn them into condos, places that I know that we do not have the time, we don't have the um, the money to afford." So this this is this is what I have seen over time: people just being <coughs> displaced. Because the most important thing you have is your shelter where you lay your head. She should not be a problem. You should not have to worry about that. So, one of my brothers, when I got grown and had children, is to get a place where they could play and not have to worry about all of that. And again, here comes that beast. Oh, we want the corridor between here and here. And we're going to take that so you. Don't have anything to say about that because that's called eminent domain. Who is that benefiting? Okay, now to let you know, with anything that we do, it takes time to do this. They had they planned that a long time ago, unbeknownst to me. So when we do what we do here in our cooperatives to make these things come to fruition, it's going to take time. It's gonna take time. I'm watching this, I'm watching the pattern because it's a pattern. It's a pattern. It's like I say within the garden. There's a pattern that exists in nature that we need to read and understand. And and I would that we not repeat the same thing and fall into the same trap every time. But it's it's a pattern and with the system that we live in. They say business is more important than your life. My, your time here at the job is more important than your life. And it took it and almost took me out, you know, that's why I'm here because I have freedom. I have autonomy here. I can be creative. I can use all that I have today to give back to my community. And you have to do that. I would, and, and this is, this is the society we live in. This is the world that we live in, you know. You can't keep taking and I get back. And look what we have, and this is what we're doing. I can't do anything out there in the garden without putting back in it what I take, what I've taken out. And so, say I ask permission to do this, and and I believe in higher power. But I ask, can, may I? Can we do this? So, so, because my intent is to do this right here, and I'm expecting a return. Okay, so I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get back what I what I but I take it from it. And if we don't do this, then this is where we have the breakdowns in societies, because one person feels they need to have more than the other. And I'm going to get it at whatever cost. And that's all that matters. And this is what we see. And it keeps going. And it, and it, and it continues and continues
1: and continues. And continues. So. Yeah. I mean, I was just going to say like the, like you were saying about Detroit um, and like they implemented an emergency manager situation. I know that, um, you know, one of the things that happens, I feel like in the South, a lot of times is, um, you know, it's like gutted of resources. And then they say that the problem is the political leadership and that black people can't lead. Um, and then so we need an emergency manager to to make things better and that emergency manager ends up uh, basically gentrifying and bringing more police and, and doing all these things and the city's developed now um and so yeah i mean i feel like the writing's on the wall um and i know for us like we have a build and fight strategy you know we know that in mississippi we can't just build like um, just the climate here, like we have to resist, you know? So that's just, that's just our disposition. We have to resist. Um, and so I feel like part of us, um, building a community land trust, part of us, um, being strategic in terms of being in West Jackson, an area that is, um, very close to downtown, um, we're thinking strategically about how we can stave off gentrification as to where a lot of Jackson won't face we're on the front lines of where gentrification is, is happening. Um, so so us being set up in a strategic location, um, but also um, thinking clearly about um, what this development looks like, and also pointing out to people in the neighborhood um, what's coming, you know, and what to expect um, just in terms of the people who don't have the folks in the community's best interest at hand. And, you know, in
2: our history, history of, of people of African descent, we've always had cooperatives. We've had whole communities that thrived without actually interacting with the broader uh, broader community. Because we had to, we were forced to do that. This has been going on for years. And, you know, the, <laughs> the power of the gun and legislation, Our communities communities were decimated. so our children, without knowing this, were thinking it's nothing that we ever did to counter any of that. those attacks against us, and that would be a lie. So our posture here is for that reason, and I do not apologize for that, because we have the right to survive just like everybody and anyone else. And it's not being anti-anyone, it's in defense of ourselves because we have that human right to do that. And this is for people who are not seen as human from the get go. So we gonna get into that. <laughs> um, this is why we push the way we do. And this is why, you know, through the grace of the great power that we're still here in spite of all of that, that we will continue to do that because it's the right thing to do. It's not harming anybody but those who do not like the idea of us being independent in and, and thought, in and deeds, and intent. So when I say to you, the soil and planting a seed is a revolutionary act, I mean just that. When you got a company like Monsanto they would not allow me to have my own seeds to plant in the ground to grow food that's good for me because they want to irradiate it and do all this wonderful fluffy stuff to it. And it's not going to do anything but hurt us. You understand? So it is all right for us to do And that we think globally, because this, this is just not us. This is the world. We want that freedom for everyone, too. And if we can link with those of like mine who are trying to do what is good and right for them, good, good. Because I'm not taking anything away from you. If anything, I'm adding to you. And I would let you do the same for me. Um, I have no question.
4: Well, um, we lost the other gentleman. But I'm almost the things that you're saying are both answering the question I had to ask, but also kind of making it more pertinent. And it's about your process. So, I think it's really, really hard to work with a group, especially when there's a lot of when there's the possibility of encountering a lot of disappointments. And you speak a lot about patience, but sometimes that's difficult. Um, and so I was kind of curious but I guess there's some things on the walls that talk a little bit about how maybe you, when you invite new people in, when new people come in, uh, what what kind of things those people need to learn in order to be able to make cooperative together I'd be curious about that um, people can't read what's on the wall um, on the podcast but also or whatever's interesting to you speak about which is um, like how do you make decisions how do you how do you sustain yourselves um, mr. Ndisha, Ndisha, he talks about uh, the idea of reducing workload but this is a huge workload that you're talking about that you are engaging in so how do you sustain yourselves and so any of those very broad but connected questions i'd love to hear what you might say to other people who are working in organizations of struggle with similar goals
7: we
1: still trying to figure it out yeah we still work on it It's a work in progress. I think one thing that we are very sort of clear about is that um, it's not a walk in the park, Um, that it is challenging work. I think think one thing that we also try to um, sort of embody in in, in a sense is that we can do this work with joy um, and we can do this work with love. And I feel like that those are the things that help to sustain us um, in this movement. Um if if there's a culture of care around doing this work that is a lot of work and it's hard work, um, then it'll make people um I feel like more invested in, in doing the work because they feel like there's a community of care and a culture of care. Um and I so and I feel like we've we've um We've made uh, huge improvements in, in, in that regard. Because um, we don't want this to be like any other job. We want this to be meaningful work uh, for people. And I know that we've been conditioned. We still are conditioned. Uh, we live in a colonial capitalist system. And we've uh, inherited a bunch of like negative stuff, just in terms of like how we see ourselves, how we see work, um, how we see labor. And we're trying to undo a lot of those things, and we're also trying to remember things. Um, I feel like that's in our DNA that uh, gives us clues or hints as to like how things happened before this capitalist system was even around. Um, and so I feel like it's a combination of those things. Um, but I think the main thing is sort of holding each other with, with care.
2: I I say, you know, I want for you, I want for myself, (laughs) I want for you what I want for myself. Say if I want to be happy, I want you to be happy because that would be the best way to be. If you're hungry, I don't want you to be hungry. I will help feed you because you are hungry. That's something natural to us all. If you're sad, I'm going to come to you, you know, and share your burden. And this is what we do. And this is how we grow. And why not do that? And we don't have to be first all the time. That has its place, but not here when we're trying to survive with one another because we need everyone. We need everyone. We're not here to exist isolated. The, there are differences for a reason that we might learn from one another, not to detract from each other. We're supposed to share. There's plenty here, you know. And when we start thinking and becoming more, more about and not caring how we do what we do, then it's going to reflect in your behavior and everything around you because things are starting falling apart, and it doesn't benefit anybody—not even that person who, who put that out. So what I what I what I see here in the review, I uh,
7: this is the first group I've ever been a part of. Well, I actually say we, and not they, because I'm a part of it. You know? About like co-ops making decisions. So just my name is Kylie Kuno for the podcast right here, whatever. Uh, um. I, I think there are I unite with everything that was said by Amani and Brandon but you know just to be asking for a, a certain kind of spe- set of specifics and I think that is important Um, I might not give you or anybody what you would like uh, but this is born from what five almost six years of you know, um, experimentation. Um there's one thing I think uh, I know I've learned, I think we've collectively learned, is um when Brandon spoke about the socialization, I would put it is that none of us um know how to be democratic. And that's something that we have to confront. We don't none of us have existed in a democratic society, so it's not something we've been socialized in. We know, you know, uh, if you think voting is the extent of democracy I mean that's that's a sad commentary on what a democracy is then. Um, it, it's it's much more deeper than that. Um, so that's something that we constantly struggle with about how to make decisions what decisions are collective what decisions should be you know um, because they they um, they're like day to day and somebody needs to make a decision around well who's cleaning the bathroom? You know how's that going to get done? Like practical stuff like that. Um, like you're not going to have an assembly about every single task or, or thing like that. Something just you know got, kind of have to be delegated or or it has to be somebody's responsibility. So I think the democracy question is a broad one of principle, but it's also one about function. And I think that's something in terms of practicality, all groups have to figure out. You know when and where how decisions get made. Um, and how to delegate roles and responsibilities i think that's some things that we we have learned the hard way and are, are going to be continue to learn the hard way because as new people come in um you know they come in with different expectations different experiences and one of the things that you know uh, we have struggled with you know just so folks know is um how do you transfer knowledge how do you transfer skill you know how do you transfer experience and we we have been struggling with that. I think we're trying to codify some things, you know, with the with some work that we're doing right now actively. But it's it's a challenge, and I I, would, I don't think anybody I would, we wouldn't want to lie to anybody to say it is not. Um, and then you know, there's there's within that there are different levels of skills. The, the system that we live in, uh, because of the uneven nature of resource allocation we all come at things with different skills. And then then the way we're socialized by gender, by sexuality, by race, et cetera, that also produces different types of skills. And I don't mean just like kind of hard skills. I mean like the the nurturing, the caring skills, which is all those are also skills and how those get divided. But those are critical things you need in order to have a, a really successful functioning group is good. You know, kind of social skills as well as, you know, I know how to build a deck you know, or I know how to do X, X, Y, and Z. Like those are the critical skills to really make a, a democracy function. Is more the social side of things, and like some of the hard uh, kind of things you would, you would kind of think of. Those are important, um, but ultimately, I think the, the, the deeper I, for me I go into this, the more and more I understand the the need for real social skills and where we have we lack. You know, and I'll start with myself, just not. I was not socialized in a particular way that to even think about having a certain type of caring and nurturing skills. Like that was, you know, and that wasn't just because from being a male and that's part of it, but it was also, you know, just growing up in a in a poor ass black working class, you know, community, uh, where particularly from teenage years on, everything was a fight, you know, fighting with each other, fighting with the larger society. You know, so um, those those caring and nurturing skills were looked down upon, not something that was was you know praised or elevated. Um and now how do you take somebody like me and undo that socialization, you know, that, that you had? That's not an easy thing to do. And it, it doesn't happen overnight. So I just wanted to get to, to more practical pieces around at least our, our experience. We do have some formal education things that we materials that we do work with, you know, things that are kind of you know central to our programmatic stuff, uh, the build and fight chapter, the the, the Jackson Cush plan. But even that is always, I think, at this point, we are in some deep introspection around you know how relevant some. Of it's it's definitely relevant as a historical document, but how relevant are those things? In, in all sense, you know, programmatically, because we don't want to get stuck in like a dogmatism of the past that doesn't necessarily move with the dynamic of a new analysis or a new framework, you know, that suits both who we are working with and the conditions as they are now. And we got to go, gotta get these kids out of here. Good night. <laughs> Good night. Um
0: any more questions guys? Any more comments? Anything? Okay, so on that note though, um, I know that there's still some food left. I don't know if anyone's ready for a second course. Um, I left some room for the mac and cheese, so I hope it's here. Um, but I wanna end with a um, with one last question for you guys. Um, and it's a very simple question, but a question that has the potential of being loaded. Uh, it's, it's not one of those questions. <laughs> But in the sense where I would like for you guys to answer it, um, it's a two-part question. I would like for you to also answer it in a two-part manner. And the question is simply this. What does the future look like? In one hand, what does the future look like if Cooperative Jackson doesn't exist, or the efforts that you guys does, um, are taking on doesn't exist, and these initiatives that are networked together on a global scale? they don't exist within capitalism. What what does it look like for everyone? Um, And then secondly, what does the future look like as this grows, as this becomes more and more successful, as it becomes stabilized?
2: You know, you, you have to be careful how you begin a thing because it will determine how it will turn out in the end. I would that the work that we've done here and are doing now would be so powerful and relevant that no matter what, no matter what comes up against us, that we, we will have learned and navigated around whatever issues we may have, that we not be so rigid that we cannot grow, and to, and to do that with we intend. So I'm hoping that with what we do here. That it will continue and that it will benefit someone because it's gonna to touch someone. Okay. Like I guess this is this is gonna repeat itself. Because the intent and the need it will always be there. Now, if it does not exist, then it may be for a breakdown of, I don't know, communication. I don't think it'll be lack of resources. I think it would be because maybe people would no longer believe in the ideals that we're trying to set. And if that happens, well, then that's what you get when you do what you do. But I believe that this group and many 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 like the, many groups like this, if they put forth the effort to do it, that they will see the good up, outcome. It may not be perfect, but I believe it will continue on because the need is always there. There will always be a need for things to be better. And, and that we work towards that end, that we should see something positive at the end of it.
1: yeah um I think if we're around, uh, we have a fighting chance. if we're not around, um, I don't know. so like here's the thing. I feel like climate change, that's a real serious um, thing that's happening right now. Some people say we got 12 years. Some folks say we got 50 years left. All I know is that in my lifetime, we might not be on this planet, right? Um, and so I look at it sort of in terms of, on a spiritual sense, like, what's what side of history do we want to be on? Um, and so at the end of the day, I know where I want to go. I may not know how to get to where I want to go. I don't have that like mapped out, but I know where I want to go, so I'm going to keep heading in that direction. Um, and I feel like cooperation, Jackson. Like we have a sense, we have a sense of where we want to go, and we're heading in that direction. Um, what I fear, I fear uh, a system collapse and, and barbarism, and uh, people turning on each other and uh, our communities not having systems in place in order to protect what we consider sacred, um, protect our families, um, and to provide um, for ourselves and for each other. Um, I feel like Cooperation Jackson, in some ways, is is um, getting prepared for the apocalypse, is getting prepared for um, system collapse. Um, and I, I hope that other communities all over the world are thinking that seriously, just in terms of like, what systems do we need to put in place in order for our communities to survive and thrive? Because this collapse is right around the corner, um, and climate change um, is is um, is happening at an astronomical rate. Um, same, similar to the um, enclosure and sort of extraction of wealth at an astronomical rate. You know, and so how do we, you know, how do we gain control of our lives? Um, you know, and I don't have the barometer in terms of like where we are in that process, but I know I'm on that road. All right.
3: And yeah, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, good. All
0: right. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Live from PlayStation 5 The Jackson And thank you so much, Corporation Jackson. I really appreciate you guys. Thank Thank you. you. Appreciate it.